This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. It's going to be a lot of fun this week. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we're we're closing on actual football. I mean, there's football, but it's just, I mean, we're just talking about practice, man. Practice. <laughs> I don't have a very good AI voice. Practice? Practice, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I had the jersey of his growing up. Oh, I bet. I had the jersey. I had the sneakers, AI, answer yeah. sneakers. I was all in. Dude, man. AI was sick, man. That crossover was just something. I yeah. mean, just, and he was, you know, some of those guys have it, like him or Reggie Miller, game on the line. You know, they want the ball in their hands. They're going to make the shot, you know, MJ, you know, all those guys. They just have something that. You know, most of us are like, no, nah, I'm going to pass it off. <laughs> Fun pod today. We'll dive into it. Uh, Mike Bellotti and open phone lines coming up in a couple minutes. But, hey, halfway point of fall camp, yep. do the Ducks have a guy like the answer? Do they have that go-to in the clutch? Well, if you uh, listened yesterday, uh, you know, one of the one of the questions that was repeated, uh, you know, was, hey, who's, who's, who's kind of the MVP at camp so far? And the repeated answer was Justin Herbert. I mean, you know, guys were, you know, and this is Thomas Graham and this is, you know, Troy Dye guys that have been through the program for a couple of years, not like true freshmen going, oh, my gosh, he is really good. These are guys that have watched Herbert develop, played alongside him, you know, defended him in countless practices. And, uh, you know, uh, again, uh, what I like about that answer, what, what you know, what I, I guess gives hope for that answer is the fact that this team ultimately, and, and, and I, I – I believe it. This team ultimately goes as far as number 10 takes him. And if he's playing that level of football, that's a good thing for Oregon football. Right. Right. I, I think the amazing thing with Herbert is I had this conversation with a, a writer on my show, taped in an interview for today, that some quarterbacks are stagnant. Yes. Right? Yes. They they hit their ceiling, and it's really just a matter of, of right place, right situation. I think like Alex Smith in the NFL is a great example where he's had bad teams, yeah. he's had good teams on no part on his own. Right. Right? And then there's quarterbacks, like Jim Plunkett to me is always the best example. A guy that in certain places he got beat up and banged up, but then... They sat him down for a couple years, took the pressure off, and let him redevelop and and watch the growth that took place, and he won two Super Bowl rings. Uh, the the, the tie-in for Herbert is you see a guy that grows every year. Yeah. I think one of the things that you were kind of touching on there that I allude to is, is – is is playing quarterback is very much like golf. There's so much mental aspect that goes into that position and that sport alone that, you know, if you're you know, if your mind's not right, if just something even a little bit is off, it can, you know, and whether you, you know, and, and that can be trusting your offensive line or trusting your receivers or, you know, not trusting your own reads, you know, getting into your own head. You know, I think some of that applies to golf. I mean, Tiger Woods is a great example. Somebody I know physically he was in some turmoil, but I think mentally he was, you know, in another spot there for a while, too. Right. I think for Justin Herbert, if his mental's right, he's got the physical traits. We know he can throw the ball a mile. It's just a matter of 
of of a consistent complete season and if he if he does that he's first round he's the first pick overall next year no questions you're giving me some ideas we're gonna have mike bellotti on the pod i I can't wait to ask mike about his perspective on that because he's seen some really good quarterbacks well and mike was at practice last week so he was there with nick aliotti was able to watch all practice so really like to get his insight on what he saw i know he saw practices last year you know, how does this team look compared to last year? So I, I think nobody to get better insight from, well, unless it's Mario Cristobal, I think Mike Velotti <laughs> is a, a very good close up. And, you know, we probably won't get too much coach speak from him because it's not his team at this point. Right. So and we, we had him on last year. Yeah. And and uh, I guess last thing, then we'll lead into this great guest. If you've never heard him before at this point in his life, not doing ESPN. Yeah. He's open, he's honest, and he just has great stories to share. Yeah. Well, and obviously, you know, not many people know and understand Oregon football and its fans better than Mike Bellotti. Right. So we're very fortunate to kind of hit him in the sweet spot of his life, if you will. Right. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mike Bellotti here with us on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Coach... I'm so excited for this. We had you on last year, really early in the history of this podcast, and we peppered you with history and and stories and learned about your past. But now I get to ask you about something really, really, really recent. You were at Ducks practice last week. What was the biggest takeaway for you? Uh, I think that there's more depth. They're bigger physically. They've got some length at the right positions, like the outside linebacker spot. The offensive line is massive. Uh, Justin Herbert is in rare form already. Uh, They had good energy. They acted like they liked each other and respected each other. There was great competition. But uh, at the same time, they were excited about people making plays. And so... You know, when you watch a team, and I think that was the fourth or fifth or sixth practice, I'm not sure exactly, and they'd had a day off, and Coach had complained that they were a little rusty from the day off. But overall, I was impressed by what I saw. Uh, I think there's athleticism, and uh, as I said, the kids seem to like football. And I think we sort of uh, don't really – give that its due sometimes in terms of what that means uh, and that's a great point coach it's it's uh, you know obviously it's really hard to quantify you know how much a kid loves football he kind of either does or he doesn't I, I suppose for the most part but um, you know leading off that question I know you answered along the way but you know you were able to you know watch practice last year and see coach Chris Ball in action last year you know, we're fast forward a year. What, you know, maybe besides depth and length, what are maybe a couple of the other things that you've seen are the biggest difference between that team at that point and that, and this team at this point? Well, the one, the coaches, uh, there's great energy from the coaches and they're all coaching their tails off and, uh, giving the right kind of feedback positive when it needs to be positive and negative when it needs to be negative and communicating with the various players. I, I think that there's more competition at the receiver position. They have some length there. Juwan Johnson, obviously, the transfer is a big physical target. <clears throat> um, Micah Pittman, I think, is not that tall, but he's a very good athlete that looks like he's ready to help 
in a variety of roles. I think they've got depth at the running back position. I think they've got depth in the offensive line and at tight end, although they've had some dings there. Defensively, it's tough to tell because they're still learning. But overall, I think Andy Avalos' system, uh, the kids seem to feel very comfortable with it. The coaches are coaching within it and probably learning. You don't learn it, but you just stay in a couple steps ahead because for some there may be some new terminology, and everybody has to get used to that. But the transition looks to be going fairly well. Coach, I just caught you name-dropping that true freshman wideout, Micah Pittman, his story amazes me, and and I, I want to think back to your years at the helm. Did you ever have a true freshman wideout come close to the contribution that Duck fans are expecting from Micah? That's a great question. I, I'm not sure. I, I think we had some true freshman play, but I don't know that any are going to be poised. Now, he came, I think, last spring, so he's had a spring ball and a fall camp under his belt, and Obviously, we didn't do that back in the old days. <laughs> I say the old days, but um, the reality is now these kids are more ready because one, they've they've been uh, trained specifically for football for a long time, but they also have gone through spring practice, which allows the coaches to <clears throat> evaluate them on how they accept coaching. They understand the the techniques, they understand the drills, and then they had a summer to practice with their teammates and to work on coverages, communication, all that type of thing. And now fall camp, it's not a strange thing. It's not something new thrown at them. It's almost review, and the pace can go a little faster for the coaches in terms of insertion and teaching because these young players who are physically gifted and ready to play uh, now have the experience within the program, the understanding and knowledge of the terminology, which sometimes can be a factor in allowing a young man to play or not, and then also the speed of the game, because they've been exposed to it both in spring ball and in the summer one-on-ones and seven-on-seven, that type of thing. One of the things I want to ask you off of that, Coach, and you'll be able to better explain it than myself, is you know, we hear the current Oregon coaches talking about the reaction time. They're able to you know, do things quicker, like you mentioned, at a re- uh, faster pace because the reaction time is a lot better. They're ha- they're not having to process things. Is that something that maybe you're talking about as well? That you know these guys are able to read and react much quicker because they, you know, don't have to take as much time processes processing the things they had to process last year. Exactly, and the reality is when you take a, a new freshman player, uh, incoming player, whether it's freshman or JC or whatever the case may be, you have three issues. You have one of just the terminology, the language barrier. How do I call this, and how do I translate that into my thinking? So this cover is this coverage. This thing is this coverage. This is is a blitz. This is a dog. This is a whatever. And so once you get past that and you don't have to think about, okay, what does that mean? Then secondarily, you're looking at how quickly can you respond physically once you see it happen. And when you've never seen it happen before for the first time, you're going, oh, wait a second, got to get to here a lot faster. These young men, like I say, by virtue of spring ball and the the summer conditioning program, <clears throat> they know it. And then the speed of the game. We talk about this all the time, though. Everybody's faster. Everybody's the best of the best from what young people played against in high school. So the reality is the game just moves faster. The ball's thrown harder. Uh, the windows are smaller. 
all those type of things. So it's a, a combination of all those things that allow players now to play at an early age. And the coaches have to try to simplify things, which they do. I think every coach, over time, you try to find a way. How can I make it the most simple, logical approach so these kids can come in and from day one they can compete? I'm not going to set them over there and say, you're not good enough yet because they are physically good enough. They have the physical skills, the, the strength training, the speed training, etc., to compete if they don't have to stop and think about what they're doing. Talking with Mike Bellotti, coach, first question you answered and you said that out of all the differences you saw and all the things that caught your eye, these duck players love playing football. And I'd love to know, how do you find that out? How did you know that? Well, I'll tell you what. It's just a, a seven, second sense that a coach has. Because I think you can tell when people are faking it. I think you can tell when people really enjoy the game and are excited about the opportunity just to be out there. And I think one of the things you always look for when you recruit, and we used to ask this, was how much does he really love football? Because there are people that love wearing the uniform. There are people that love the publicity. There are people that love you know, cheering crowds. But they may not love football when down deep it goes the other way. And we've got to find out how tough this young man and how much he really cares about his teammates as much or more than himself and how much he's willing to sacrifice. So I think my initial impression just, and I was watching, like I said, the fourth or fifth or fifth or sixth practices of fall camp was that this team liked football. The guys that were on the sideline weren't feeling sorry for themselves and weren't out of it and, and happy to be out of practice. They wanted to be involved with practice, and the guys that were there practicing made the most of every opportunity, whether it's a mental rep by watching what happens on the field or a physical rep of getting a chance to get in there. Because I think they all know that this is a dress rehearsal. And the reality is, if you have 85 scholarships and 115 or 120 players out there, every single one of them has a chance to be part of what's happening and play during the season. Right. Uh, Coach, I want to ask you about uh, Coach Cristobal specifically. And I, I know you, you won't want to be overly critical or he may not let you back at practice, but... <laughs> You know, one of the things that in my experience is, is there's a lot of good coaches out there, but the great coaches continue to evolve, continue to learn, learn from their mistakes. And, you know, if you were assessing Coach Cristobal from last year to this point, what are some of the ways that you think he might have improved himself just in that year span as a head coach? Well, I think obviously the, the big question marks were the start of the Washington State game, and the entire Arizona game. And I think it's trying to make sure as a head coach, your approach is even keel. You know, it's, it's about us getting better. It doesn't matter about our opponent. We don't want to play up to one opponent and down to another. We want to set our level. And I, I think Coach Cristobal, I like what he says. I like the way he communicates. I like the way he recruits. I think he's done a great job recruiting. Now he has to prove that he and his staff – can develop that talent and can have, uh, you know, the great players stay at a high level, but then the other players come up to that level. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things, too, I think his coaching staff now is more a reflection of who and what he wants. Uh, they seem to be a more cohesive unit, even though there's some new coaches on the staff. I think that's always good. It's nice to bring in coaches with a different perspective sometimes. He brought in consultants in the offseason season 
help them address some of their issues on offense uh, and uh, how ways to use Justin Herbert to make sure he performs at the highest level possible. And one of the things, just so you know, Coach Crystal and I talked after every game last year, and he said, Coach, I don't want a yes, sir. I don't want a attaboy. I want you to be critical and to be honest. And I said, okay, that's great, because I, I won't mince any words. I'll <laughs> tell you what I think you guys did well and what you didn't do well and what you need to improve and what players or coaches or schemes may not be the most efficient right now. And, and he was very willing to listen, and, uh, and I'm not – I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm. I'm also. Uh, I think he's doing a very good job. But obviously, this is a big year. They picked to win their division, compete for the conference championship. They have a, a return, and part of it too is the staff he put together, the players they've recruited, the players they've retained, and you talk about guys like Troy Guy and Justin Herbert coming back for their senior years when they both could have gone to the NFL. That's. That's somewhat unheard of. So it, it sort of points to what they believe in terms of Coach Cristobal, what they like about Eugene and the University of Oregon and the football program. Coach, I know you're probably pretty satisfied with your current life situation, but I'm going to ask you a two-parter here. <laughs> Is this a team that you would not mind coming out of retirement to coach? And, and secondly, you know, where do you think this team ends up at the end of the year just off what you've seen? Uh, I'd love to coach this team. I'd love to coach a team that's already been put together and has got some pretty good players and seems to have a great attitude about the game. Uh, I like the coaching staff. They have energy. They seem to be unselfish. They seem to do a good job of working through issues because that's one of the things that it's it's all rosy. And when things go good and you win a game and everything's fine, it's when things don't go well that you find out how good a coach you are. Um, I think this team is going to compete for the division title, is going to compete for the conference championship, and certainly would be one of the best representatives for the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. I think that they still have to prove that they have a receiver core, that they have multiple weapons there that can affect the defense and help Justin Herbert. I think the defense has to still prove that they can make the transition to a new coordinator. They lost several key pass rushers last year and a couple of pretty good uh, stalwart defensive players in the front seven. They should be better in the secondary, I believe, although Ugo Amadi not being there is going to hurt them. But um, So I think this is a team <clears throat> that if they cannot fall asleep on the road, and I, I really mean that. They've got to play as well on the road as they do at home. And obviously when they start off with a, a huge game against Auburn, supposedly neutral field. I'm not sure I'd call it that. But the reality is that's a huge game for Oregon, a huge game for the Pac-12, because the outcome of that game is going to sort of put a huge uh, vision stamp on the Pac-12. If Oregon wins, then I think, and Auburn is a very good team, maybe not a great team in the SEC, but a very good team, and their coach is under a lot of pressure, so they're feeling the heat to come out and win that first game, too. So I think we'll know a lot more after that first game, just in terms of how this group of kids and coaches matches up, because Auburn will be hungry for that game. 
Uh, Coach, I agree wholeheartedly with you about, uh, I guess, finding out where Oregon's at on the road. Obviously, that's been an issue the past couple years, whether it's under Coach Cristobal or Coach Taggart or whatnot. So I think that's probably first and foremost in my, uh, you know, concern column. Secondly, to me, and I'm going to ask you about this, uh, you know, I, I believe, and I've said this for a while, I think this team goes as far as number 10 takes them, as far as Herbert can take them. And, and I say that knowing that he's got first-round potential, he's got all the tangibles, but there are times where he might make a few mistakes. You kind of wonder, wow, that's not very Herbert-like. Do you somewhat agree with that assessment? I think no, I think number 10 is, is the second biggest key to this team, and uh, it sounds like, from what you saw, he's probably ready to do that. I, I think he's really, really good. I said that last year, and I think he was his own worst enemy at times because I think it, there were certain times where he lacked confidence in some of the other receivers, and he forced the ball or held the ball to wait for Dylan Mitchell to get open. And when it didn't happen, he ended up taking a loss or, or taking a sack or forcing the ball. And I, I think he's got to understand that you can throw it away and come back to play another day. And he's, he's good enough to know that. He has to demonstrate that for the NFL at the next level. They won't always be open. But I also think that uh, he'll have more weapons, and I think they're going to try and do some things, even though I think the pistol is still the the focus of this offense, and it's a run-first type deal. But with bigger offensive linemen with a healthy group of backs, they should be efficient in the running game and allow Justin Herbert to throw more often when he wants to throw rather than when he has to throw. And that's a huge key for an offense is when you can throw – when you want to throw on either or downs or 50-50 downs, then the defense doesn't have a significant advantage. But when you're throwing it and it's second and 12 or third and 10 or something like that, those are downs where the defense can dictate a little bit of where you go with the ball and whether they're going to do pressure or coverage. And I think, like I said, I said last year after the first half of the season, I helped him pack his bags for the NFL. I thought he was that ready and that good. <laughs> He did digress the second half of the season in a manner that you know, some people were shocked about. I, I think it was some just growth things, but it was also the lack of depth in the receiver position and maybe some play calling that put him into a, a not a rut, but just continued to come up and having to throw on a third down after running the ball twice. Mike Bellotti with a, uh, a a real nice endorsement of Justin Herbert and his NFL talent on top of the collegiate one this fall. Coach, my household, we were huge Mike Bellotti fans growing up, and the uh, F- Fiesta Bowl win was was probably my favorite Ducks memory growing up. So it's always an honor to speak to you, and we're really thankful for your time today. Thanks, guys. And I'm, I'm excited about this Duck team. I think we all should be. Awesome. Thank you, Coach, and uh, we'll have you back again soon. Okay. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Mike Bellotti. How about that, man? Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I love the fact that, you know, he probably mentioned some things that some people might have been afraid to talk about. Um, you know, uh, for instance, one of the last few things, he didn't outright question play calling, and I don't I, I don't think he's doing that at all one bit. That wouldn't be fair to, to – to say that's what he said right but i think there were moments that you know like he said maybe herbert was a little frustrated that 
you know, it's first and 10, they run the ball. It's second and eight, they run the ball, knowing that third and six or five was going to come up. You know, I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of that was based on injuries and some other things that were experienced along the way. Um, again, not an outright indictment of Arroyo or anything going on there, just some awareness of, hey, these are some factors, I think, that contributed to, you know, Herbert having a stellar first half of the year. And, you know, maybe the second half of the year didn't go as most of us expected. Right. And and two things that I'll take away from that. One is that they have uh, they brought in the, the duck coaching staff, brought in consultants. They brought in an outside mind to look at that and analyze it and critique it, which I don't think a lot of teams would. Right. And then the other thing that fascinates me. We, we get back to this idea all the time of, is Mario Cristobal the right man for the job? And I know you believe so, and I believe so, and I feel very affirmed in that when I hear Mike Bellotti say that they talked after every game. Yeah, and to please offer criticism, I want it. I need to know, you know, what's not working. I mean, you know, why not do that? Why not get it from somebody who's been there and done that? The legend. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and why not? It doesn't mean you have to do exactly what Mike Bellotti says, but at least it puts it on your radar. Like, yeah, maybe I am, you know, doing this or, or need to improve here or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, I applaud that. And I, and I, you know, like you, I continue to believe that uh, Coach Cristobal is the right man for the job. Um, I think in this instant gratification world, everybody was expecting the Ducks to go to the playoffs last year because they had Justin Herbert. wasn't really fair. As we saw, there was just so many holes that needed fixing specifically wide receiver, just to name one, uh, you know, and one of the thing, and I'll say it again this year, if Oregon doesn't get to the playoffs or even win the PAC 12 and only wins nine games or whatever the case might be, you know, you heard coach crystal Bowl talk about it gets exponentially harder to go from that eighth win to the ninth win from the ninth win to the 10th win. You don't just win eight games and all of a sudden win 11. That's not exactly how it works. It right. gets exponentially that you know your margin of error is so small and uh, you know i mean obviously great coaches are, are paid big money for a reason uh, you know it's their job they're judged on wins and losses but at the end of the day if this team finished with eight eight wins again i know a lot of people would be disappointed but i still don't think that it's necessarily an indictment of, of coach cristobal overall i guess we'll have to see how the season unfolds yeah yeah it's a halfway point of fall camp, so we're getting close. Just spoke with Mike Bellotti, and you want to open the phone lines, right? Let's do it. Okay. Let's go for it. Yeah, we got somebody trying, and I, I don't want to keep him waiting. Yeah, go for it. Hey, caller. Thanks for your patience. Give us your name. Uh, Ian. Ian, thanks for giving us a call. Sorry about that. We ran a little long with the uh, with the uh, the first guest. <laughs> no, <laughs> to, to be no heard worries, later. No worries. <laughs> so, Ian, we are looking forward to your question. Please fire away. Okay. So I, I hate to be a pessimist here, but, um, you know, I, I see a lot, of, a lot of hype about this Oregon team, and I know that Rob Mosley's like, you know, everybody makes fun of Rob for, for kind of, you know, pumping, every, pumping everybody full of sunshine. But right. I, have my, I have my serious doubts about this Oregon team. I'm, I'm a huge pessimist when it comes to Oregon sports and Northwest sports in general. And my question is, is, Two questions. Uh, one, why do we trust the players to get us a 10-win season, and why do we t- trust the coaches to get us a 10-win season? I say 10-win season because that seems to be the expectation of a lot of people. And I'm looking at the schedule last year, going to coaching, and it's very easy that we lose. We could have we lost six games last year. 
I know that there's, you know, we had the Stanford game, you know, that was just like seemed like an act of fate. Um, but, you know, the Utah games and the, the Arizona games were really ugly. The Washington State game was really ugly. And I felt like that came down a lot to coaching. Um, our schedule is going to be significantly harder this year. And so what I'm wondering is, like, what are, what's, what's different about the coaches' approaches this year that's going to prevent us from getting more losses than we did last year? We could have easily lost the Arizona State game. We could have uh, we could have lost you know the Washington game pretty easily, and that would have been six losses right there. You know, the Red Box Bowl wasn't exactly a huge like confidence booster there. So you know that's like what what is what are the coaches doing that you know inspires you to say, hey, this could be a playoff team. This could be a ten win season team. Um, number number one. Number two, and please forgive me if I'm ranting a little bit, is uh, what, what about the players is, is inspiring you to say that, this, hey, this is going to be a good team, this is going to be a 10-win team, this is going to be a potential playoff team, when, you know, we, we lost two NFL linebackers. Um, we, uh, we are reliant. Um, that's just on defense, you know. I, uh, I, I know that our, our defensive backs are really good. We're, we're reliant on a lot of newcomers to – not only be good for the the defense, which everybody uh, I think rightfully believes is going to be a better unit than than next year, but number two with the offense, you know everybody's projections is the passing game is going to be better, even though we lost this Dylan Mitchell. But we're reliant on Juwan Johnson, a very maddeningly inconsistent player, to make our maddeningly inconsistent passing game better. And like the O line is the O line is half the battle, and I I know that those guys are good, but I mean, how many of these other guys would be on the entire roster would be starting for playoff teams? Like, are they, is this like a 10-win season uh, good roster that we have outside of the O-line and Justin Herbert? And is this a 10-win potential playoff team based on who we have on the coaching staff? I know that this is like a, this is a playoff team based on how they recruit, but as far as in-game decisions, for preparation, all the stuff that goes into actual game day coaching, is this a 10-win potential playoff team based on what we're seeing from the coaches? Um, oh, good question for starters, or questions, if you will. Um, I'll go first, Matt. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're fine. Uh, you know, here's my – I'll go with the players first. I'll go with the players. Uh, you know, Matt, feel free to jump in here with, with me. But right. from, a, from a player – standpoint i think uh when you look at a lot of the championship caliber teams or or the ones that get in the playoffs they have a good quarterback and they have good line play and really those are the strengths of oregon football right now doesn't mean they're elite certainly they don't have the the talent that alabama or clemson do but we're talking we're that's the benchmark i'd say if you're close to the benchmark you've got a fighting chance you need some things to go your way of course if that's the case so for me i think the fact that Justin Herbert, Troy Dye, and some of these seniors came back when they could have gone to the NFL quite easily. A lot of the offensive linemen, they've clearly bought in. They clearly believe. So that gives me some sense of confidence, I guess, to parlay into the coaching staff, uh, you know, if you will, from that standpoint. Like you said, recruiting has done incredibly well the last two years, but you can't you can't win those elite games relying on true freshmen. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I think if you've got a core of good players, of, of junior, seniors, guys that have experience, and you fill in a couple spots with freshmen, you can win. You know, Clemson's done that. They did it with a, a freshman quarterback last year, obviously, in Trevor Lawrence, although he's a generational quarterback, un, unfair to compare. So 
I think my biggest takeaway, and I'll hit on it with you, is wide receivers. I'm still concerned about wide receiver. I love what I'm hearing about Micah Pittman. I think he's going to be a key contributor. Um, I do think Jawan Johnson brings a lot to the table, and obviously, uh, first and foremost, is physically uh, and athletically. But like you said, there are question marks there. The reason that I'm more optimistic about the passing game is because I believe that three above average, and I'll just say above average wide receivers, are greater than having one superstar receiver. So, you know, Oregon was focused on Dylan Mitchell last year. Nobody else really kicked in for the most part. I think this year they can be three or four deep at receiver. I think that opens the playbook. I think that takes a lot of pressure off Justin Herbert in the end. Um, Matt? What do you think on the players? Right. I, to me, you hit the big one, which is that so much uh, in, in college football boils down to do you have a great quarterback and do you kick ass in the trenches? I think the Ducks have check marks on, on both of those boxes, and especially with the offensive line. I know receiver is a question mark, sure. and the passing game is, is going to scare people until we see it in Dallas two weeks from now, but... Outside of that game against SEC caliber competition, I don't think the Ducks are going to need to throw that much. I see a team that the way that line is built with Penne and and with uh, the, the Omove and these guys on the line, you can see a team essentially play like they did the first three quarters against Stanford where they smash the ball inside the rocks and, and just bully people. Right. And uh, hopefully the kind of team that we should have seen against Washington State and the team that we should have seen on the road against Arizona. Um, and then I looked also, the, the, the big thing to me, and I, I love the question, Ian, mentioning how close some of those wins were. Yeah. Some of those losses were close too. Sure. Like if you get a Hail Mary against Washington State, which sounds crazy, but I mean, look at the replay. They were close. Yeah. And then if Javon Holland has a football an inch higher off the ground in that fourth quarter comeback, I think the Ducks win that game in Pullman. Right. And you win that game in Pullman, you're still atop the Pac-12 North. You still have all the momentum looking at the college football playoff in, in front of you. I think the season would have gone totally different had they won that game, and they were really close to winning that game. Yeah, and to gotcha. me, well, to me, Stanford and Washington are, were a wash. Oregon should have beat Stanford. Right. They probably shouldn't have beat Washington, which is a wash in the end. It didn't well, matter which way it went. But well, like I mean, we we could talk about this till we're blue in the face. The fumble at the end that stung. Yeah. But I still felt like they were robbed by the officials in that third quarter. You, you, yep. you put that touchdown back on the board and the, the turnover, the swing the that came out of that, yeah. and the Ducks win that game. Well, and, yeah. you know, I think one of the things I think about, just to continue, Ian, I think it's a great question mm. to bring up, and I, I enjoy somebody who's on the other end of the, of the scale. It, we, you know, we, I, I, uh, I'm with you. That sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the sunshine pumping because you want to root for them. It's your team. You know, you want to get excited optimism is fun but on the same time you're like man i don't want to get burned i don't want i don't want to plan on 11 win season go type up 11 and 1 t-shirts only to have to burn them you know <laughs> and the one thing i see the one thing i see and, and there's two two things here i think chip kelly ran through a very easy pac 12 for the most part other than stanford at the time and a little bit of usc i think Chris Peterson at Washington has run through a pretty easy Pac-12 the last few years. Orient's been down. Right. Stanford hasn't been super strong. You know, they, they've been able 
I think the Pac-12 is still down. I think Washington is good. If you can beat Washington, you can beat anyone in the Pac-12 as far as I'm concerned for Oregon. But like you said, it's not that simple. They play the games. Um, you know. So to me, I think if Oregon is as dominant as they could be at the line of scrimmage on both sides and with quarterback, I think winning the Pac-12 really shouldn't be that difficult outside of Washington. Now, when you go and you play Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, those elite teams, of course, that's a totally different ballgame. Um, as far as coaching goes, the one thing I'll hit on our last guest, and, and we can say it because we'll, you know, we're recording this now, just don't post it on the boards, but it was Mike Bellotti. And one of the things that Coach Bellotti said as we hung up with him was that you know Mario Cristobal called him after every game last year and, and said, hey, look, I don't want you to tell me what I did right. I want you to tell me what I did wrong. And they had conversations about what oh. Coach Bellotti saw and what he could work on. And, and of course, that didn't mean, you know, Chris Ball just went and, and did whatever Bellotti said. But I think it's great to hear that a head coach has, you know, puts his ego aside and says, hey, help me, help me get better. Help me help this program. What can we do better? Um, you know, I think there's a lot there. Do Are there people that have concerns about the offense and Marcus Royal? Absolutely. And I'm not going to sit here and defend it to the end. I will say I think there is a lot of opportunity for this offense to be better in year two than it was in year one. Not just because of the players, but because of the terminology, because these players are going to be able to react better. The offensive line is strong. I think a balanced wide receiver group helps this team. So I, I do think there's a reason for some optimism there on the offense. Um, obviously, we got to see what Coach Avalos can do with the defense. But one of the things that uh, Coach Bilotti also mentioned, he was at practice last week, he said, these coaches are coaching their butt off. They're doing all the little things. And I asked him outright, I said, coach, is this a team that you would like to come come out of retirement and coach right now? And he said, I'd love to inherit this team. I'd love to inherit every coach that he has and the way that they're doing things and the culture they have. I'd step right in there and take this team, no question. So I, there's probably no better compliment than to hear Coach Bilotti say that to me. Hopefully it's not just much more coach speak, but it's not his team. So I think he does a little better job separating himself in that regard. So, so hopefully that answers your questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys, you guys are helping assuage my fears right now, but I want to get touched on a really good point um, about, about the running game and our O line. I just wanted to cover this quickly because this is something that's bothered me for a long time sure. is the fact that we have, we have the best O line in the conference. I mean, I don't think that's, that's arguable. Like we have guys that are going to go on and play in the NFL and, you know, our running backs are not shabby either. Like they, they're not like the Michaels or the Royce Freemans, but they they're good. They're they're on the you're easily on the top echelon the the Pac-12 like top top two top three running back groups. But my question is is if if we have the the best one in the the Pac-12 and some of the best running backs in the Pac-12, why didn't we control these games better? Why didn't we just as 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 you guys said run over these teams and like. Like it's the I when I when we went into the Washington State game I was like you know what like yeah they have they have the the air raid that has befalled us so many times you know they have like a pretty decent underrated defense that has really you know gone us for a loop but we have the best O line and our running backs are good so we should be able to win this game just by running the ball over and over again and I'm I'm wondering why we didn't why we didn't see more wins just based on ball control and the game control that comes out of a run heavy offense. I, I, I feel like it's like I just it's a weird mystery to me that we didn't win more games when we had the best O line and we, we have a, a, a running game that can uh, that can control games. 
Right. And, and I can answer that one just using that game as an example. You, you go in with a game plan every week, and, and this is a staple. It's been this way since Bill Walsh with the Niners back in the day, and everybody has their spin on it. But you game plan during the week to script, say, 15 or 20 plays, your first 15 or 20 plays in a game. And I would assume in that game the Ducks just fell behind. They got behind early. It's 14 nothing, 21 nothing. By the time they get through their script, they're staring down multiple touchdown deficit, and, and they've got to adjust. And for them, it meant we need points quick, and we need to get the passing game going. So I, I think that in a perfect world, they, say, they would say, hey, we got the game plan wrong, and we needed to, to script that better. I think that's what they would say now. But that, that was why they, they weren't able to smash it against Washington State like they wanted to. They just scoreline got away from them early with the turnovers and the penalties, and they had to get quick. And I, I agree with that on that game. And I think to answer your question, maybe in a little broader, Ian, you know, more of a season overview, than the, and I agree with Matt on that game. I think, uh, I think overall you saw a pretty dominant run game uh, up into the Washington game. And when as soon as Panay Sewell got hurt – I'm not putting this all on Panay Sewell. Right. But once you started, because remember, last year was Warmack's first year playing in there, and he was in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Panay Sewell was in and out of the lineup. At moments, you had Matt Hansen out, and you were moving Calvin Throckmorton all over the line. It really became a shuffleboard of guys out there. When Panay Sewell came back, I still don't think he was 100%, but that line got better towards the end of the year once again. Again, I don't. It isn't just because of Sewell. I think what happens that becomes a domino effect of moving guys around, mm-hmm. and without him, it really changed the chemistry and the cadence of that offensive line. Coupled with the fact that nobody besides number thirteen could catch a football, regardless of where that was. Right. So you you would see Michigan State. Everybody they had everyone in the box, and then they had two guys or sometimes three guarding Mitchell and they knew they didn't even have to put anyone on Schooler and Johnson. If you go back and watch film, you'll legitimately see Schooler and Johnson running wide open. I mean, they will play <laughs> like play after play P- teams went up. and st- So, I mean, I think with the shuffle at O-line and I think the fact that teams outright disrespected the pass game that much because they knew they could, I think that made the run game very difficult. Um, but I also think that we're going to go back to your close game situations that could have gone either way last year. I think if you go look at the analytics, and I'm sure Mario Crispo does, if you can keep a game close, you've always got a shot at winning. Mm -hmm. If they go and all of a sudden start doing three and outs over and over and and fall behind, they weren't built to come from behind, and they knew that. So to answer you, I agree I would like to see the run game be more dominant, but if you go back to the beginning of the year, which is a long time ago at this point, you saw some pretty dominant – uh, you know, run plays. I think they'll be more explosive this year. There will be more explosion plays because of, once again, the balance in the passing attack. You've got to go. You cannot leave Micah Pittman open. We know that already. You probably shouldn't leave Juwan Johnson open, and you know that. I think Jalon Red, he's not perfect, but he's gotten better, and, I, and he's dependable enough that just between those three guys, and who knows if Addison or Schooler or whoever's back, I think you've got a more balanced group that you do actually have to pay more attention to those guys. And you'll at least have to back your safeties up to start the game. If you bring them up, I think a guy like Micah Pittman is going to beat them uh, early and often deep. So 
hopefully that answers your game. I think the run game should be better this year. I agree. I, right. I liked it. I liked it when it was dominant last year. I mean, they ran they ran the ball all over Stanford. And I mean, if we think about mm-hmm. that, that's unheard of for Oregon. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like what Oregon out physical Stanford the line of scrimmage. And they did, but obviously things changed once the offensive line started doing a lot of shuffling. And, uh, you know, maybe some of that was play calling. Some of that was, you know, just certain things. I just think that they kind of got stuck a little bit, if you will. Yeah, that, that, uh, that definitely answers my question. Just want to let you guys know I'm calling in from uh, Manhattan in New York City. And, Whoa! Uh, you guys got, uh, got uh, scooped up duck listeners across the coast. Man, I appreciate that. Awesome. All the way back in New York City, buddy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're, we're, ducks are migratory creatures, you know. So we got a, we got a big flock out here. <laughs> well, and they flock together naturally. It's an instinct. E- exactly. Well, thanks for calling in, Ian. Don't be shy in the future. All right, I will. I'll do that. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. New York City. That was New rad. New York City. Yeah. And it worked out because yeah, our line wasn't blowing up. Today. No, no. We so. must have caught everybody on a work day or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good call though. He had good questions. Yeah. Uh, I'm not just saying this. I appreciate people that want to call in and talk about the other end of the spectrum because uh, I I think expectations are important. I think it's important to, you know, like he says, hey, uh, you know, why should I buy in with the staff? Why should I buy in with the players? They won eight games last year. And and I think those are good questions. I think it's a good way to look at it versus calling in and saying, hey, this team sucks. I don't want to root for them. Okay, well, we don't have anything to talk about there, but he at least had some fair points to bring up. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things I wrote earlier in the week, or was it last? I don't know. It's, they're all running together. Just, you know, everyone needs to manage their expectations a little bit. It, you, you did write that this week. It was this, so I think a lot of folks are, I think a lot of folks are optimistic that this game, that this team wins the, the Pac-12 North, wins the Pac-12, possibly a playoff berth. And, and you are not wrong for having that optimism. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to enter every season as understanding that every team, regardless of, of, of Alabama or Oregon or Notre Dame or whatever your team is, every team has a ceiling and a floor. And the, and the range of outcomes can come anywhere between there. That's just how football works. I mean, we had so many close games last year that we're talking about could have gone either way. Losses that could have been wins, wins that could have been losses. And that's the game of football. So I, I, I think... At this point, I think a lot of people get attracted to the ceiling, but they don't pay attention to the floor. I think the floor for this team is seven, eight wins. That's the floor. They need to win seven, eight games. And I know when I say that, people go, seven, eight wins, that's ugly, right? Yeah, it is, but that's the floor. Yeah. And I'm saying the ceiling is, yeah, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins. It's somewhere up in there. We'll just say 11. Mm-hmm. That's prob- that's the median, 11. You need to understand that there's a range of possible outcomes that fall in the middle there. Maybe Washington's better than we expect maybe stanford's better than we expect maybe usc is better than we expect them to be we don't know yeah and there is a range of you know maybe oregon state's improved i mean you can they should be that's a hell of a maybe well (laughs) (laughs) there's only one one way up right there's one way to go at this point but again it's the range of outcomes you know uh you know maybe washington isn't as good as we think maybe washington state isn't as good as we think you just don't know there's a range of outcomes so again i think if you enter the season with this range of expectations with a, with a with a ceiling and a floor i think your overall happiness with the season can be better now there's no reason not to have optimism but again justin herbert knocked on wood gets hurt in the third game of the season guess what your range of outcomes just changes yes now i'm as big a fan of tyler shuck as there is but let's just face it justin right. herbert gets hurt right 
This whole thing changes. Right. And 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 that's a topic that that's true for any college football team uh, and any NFL team by a mile. Yeah. You lose your starting QB, your franchise QB, kiss the playoffs goodbye. Yeah. And if it's late in the year, kiss Super Bowl goodbye. Um, I, I think that's doubly true with Oregon. But like you're saying, there's no reason not to be optimistic about this team. Like we can we can think, okay, yeah, eight wins is the floor. But before a game's been played, let's have some fun. Let's be yeah. loose. Let's be optimistic here. Right. Uh, I, 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 I've used this analogy before. I'm a diehard Raider fan. Oakland Raiders all my life. Brutal. Uh, to, so yes, far. Yes. <laughs> to my detriment, I have the Jamarcus Russell jersey in my closet somewhere. And I swear to God, Justin, there were those Jamarcus years. We didn't go in thinking, oh, we drafted the worst quarterback in football. We didn't go in thinking, oh, we're going to go 2-14 and 14 this year. We're going to suck, right? right? We went in thinking, I swear to God, Jamarcus Russell is going to be the franchise savior. Right. And and this team's going to be great this year. They're going to turn the corner this year. Al Davis is a genius. Right. Everything's going to work. And I think that's natural for football fans to feel that way. Yeah. Now, the difference between Raider fans in those years pining our hopes on Jamarcus Russell and Duck fans right now is I think Duck fans have a reason to be optimistic. Yeah. You have a great coach. Legitimate reason. Legitimate reason. Yeah. Great coach, kick-ass offensive line that is going to terrorize the Pac-12. A quarterback that might be the best quarterback in college football this year and a lot of key contributors that got better. Uh, D'Amador Lenore, Thomas Graham, those guys I think are NFL corners in the making. Javon Holland, I think that's an NFL DB. Uh, I would be stunned if he doesn't just clean up his interception tally this year. And you never know with Micah Pittman. Yeah. If, If Mario Cristobal name drops him, and Mike Bellotti name drops him, and Scoop Duck is talking about him every day, and Rob Mosley is bragging about him all the time. Yeah, maybe we just got to believe everything we're hearing and seeing about Micah Pittman. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. Right. Maybe this kid is just the <laughs> best true freshman receiver ever. Right. It happens. Well, and we heard him on the show. I mean, we had him on the podcast. He's not short on bravado. I mean, he he. What I like is he's not cocky. He's confident. He has goals. He has set goals. And he, but the 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 difference is between him and a lot of other young men is you can set goals, but if you don't work for those goals, it don't mean shit, right? And he does. I mean, you heard him. He's like, I'm in I'm in the 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 uh, uh, film room every day after practice, probably more than anybody. Okay, well, he's obviously got his goals, and he knows probably you know from his dad, from his brother, uh, you know, playing a lot of great football. If you don't work towards those goals, they don't mean shit. Right. You know, so. And he's grinding. Yeah, and he's grinding. So he is. I I mean, it's all those things. come, And then, of course, he's just, I mean, he's physically gifted. I mean, we said it before he even showed up. He's a a college-ready looking wide receiver coming out of high school. I mean, he just, he's built that way. I mean, his dad had, like, the biggest biceps on the planet. I mean, he just just did when he was running back at Tampa Bay. One thing I want to bring up, and we don't talk about enough, you you rattled off some really good reasons to be optimistic about this team, and it it, it bears to point out that you're not even a duck fan. Yeah, I mean, like it's not like oh, Matt. I don't like, I don't hate the ducks. Right. but I'm a neutral. But I'm yeah, a neutral. you're not like oh, you know, wearing duck shirts to the you know the podcast or every day or whatever. It's like you know you're trying to look at it from a a bit of a distant standpoint. Now, even though we do this, 
you know, you talk about the Beavers, you talk about the, you know, the SOU Raiders, you talk about the Oakland Raiders, you know, you, you talk about a lot of teams. Um, and so I think, you know, when it kind of comes from you, it's kind of somebody saying, you know, yeah, these things make sense. This, yeah. That's why, you know, and, and, and you've been fortunate to talk to Mario Cristobal and Mike Bl- and these other guys and get some insight along the way. But, you know, I think to somebody outside the Oregon program, not just yourself, but to a, a fan that's not – you look at this team, and there's a lot of good things. You, you, you've got a little bit of a tough schedule, but not unwinnable. You've got mm-hmm. the keys. You've got you've, you've got more depth. You've got a, a, a top-round quarterback. You've got you know guys on the line of scrimmage, both sides of the line of scrimmage. That gives you an instant advantage right out the gate right there. You know, So there's so many things to be optimistic. And I look at this. I'm going to scale it back and look at the day Mario Cristobal is hired. He goes out and brings in some terrific coaches. He goes out, recruits his ass off, realizes there's holes at receiver, realizes there's holes at linebacker, realizes there's holes at cornerback. What's he going to do? Recruit cornerbacks and receivers and fix all those holes. Right. Can he fix it last year? No. I mean, it takes a year or two. And what? you got to remember what he stepped into. Right. I mean, that was from from your perspective on Ducks recruiting, from my perspective on the local scene, that was an abyss. Yes. Players went from being 100% Oregon. I'm right. talking recruits. Yes. 100% Oregon to buy. They I lost want dudes nothing they, to do with them. They lost dudes they never should have. I mean, Coda shouldn't have left this area. Coda should have never left. No. Yes. They, uh, Hufunga shouldn't be at USC. I yes. mean, this, they went, and that's fine, but those, and that's not Mario's fault. That's not Coach Cristobal's fault. Those are all things that came before him. Well, before, yeah. And not just, they don't just fall on Taggart either. I mean, we see that recruiting, you've got to be a year or two out. You know, Coda, Hufunga, these other guys, you know, that started from the transition from Helfrich to Taggart, from Taggart to Cristobal. I mean, you're behind the eight ball. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I get it. I'm not just, it's easy to put the blame on Taggart because everybody hates him. I'm not even doing that. It's It was simply a, a buildup of years prior. And I'm just going back. It, almost every decision we've seen Cristobal make has been solid. You needed to improve your strength and conditioning program. Did that tenfold. Oh, yeah. Clearly invested in that. You've gone out and expanded your coaching staff and hired analysts, hired consultants. You know, they brought John Neal back as as what I would consider a consultant. Uh, I know Coach Bellotti didn't mention it, but, I mean, Coach Neal is going to be uh, consulting with this team. He won't be active day to day, but he'll be there watching film and doing other things. Um, it's good to go and get those types of resources and bring them into your program. Right. Or he lost some coaches after, you know, his first two years, replaced them with other really good coaches. Got his own defensive coordinator. Got his own DC, uh, you know, went out and got Jim Mastro, uh, you know, when he needed a running back coach, went and got Ken Wilson when he needed to replace his linebacker coach. He has gone out and hired some terrific coaches. Just look at every facet of what he's done with this team, and you got to feel better about all those areas, strength and conditioning, nutrition, uh, culture. Just look at it, the way they practice, right. uh, the way the, speak, the, the players speak after practice, you know, not just about practice, but about their peers, about, you know, getting their academics done, all these things. The academic GPA of the team is as high as it's, as it's been in a long time. So whether Mario Cristobal wins seven or eight or 10 or 11 games this season, ultimately he's going to be judged on that and graded on that. But at the end of the day, what has he done to date to not give you confidence that he can continue to 
push this thing the right direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe it isn't this year. Maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. You know, why is that? Is it because, like I said, these range of outcomes, somebody get hurt. Panay Sewell is not even the quarterback, and look at how that team changed when Panay Sewell got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not the same team offensively. Right. So, again, it comes back to range of outcomes, managing your expectations. Be optimistic. Let's have some fun. Auburn's coming up. I'm nervous. I don't know about you. I'm nervous. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kind of take the position – it's been fun reading Scoop Duck the last couple of days, reading yeah. all the comments from people about this subject of expectations for the year. And somebody threw out there, they said, I was really pessimistic until QB 11 said they were going to kick full of sunshine. ass. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the range of outcomes just for that game alone. Right. You, like, if this team is as good as some of us think it might be, if the offensive line is that good, if Auburn's quarterback doesn't play very well because it's his first start, Oregon could run it up early and never look back. There's a reason Gus Malzahn's on the hot seat. You know what I mean? Right. That's a range outcome. With a new quarterback. With a new quarterback. Playing his first game. Right. In Jerry World, national TV, yep. college game day. Against a good defense. Yes. We don't know how good, but it's going to be good. They're going to blitz. When, They're going to get funky. There's going to be a, a free linebacker right in his face that yep. he never saw coming. I mean, when has Andy Avalos never really coached a good defense? I mean, almost never. Right. He's always got a good defense. Right. It's just a matter of how good with the players and yeah. whatnot. Well, that's another angle there. You can always tell, like like with Jim Levitt. Jim Levitt is a good coach. Mm-hmm. I like Jim Levitt. Um, I, I've said before, I would have loved to have him here with us, but just never worked out. Sure. And it's probably for the better because I think he would have, screamed and blown <laughs> up one of these microphones but uh jim levitt was not missed when he left colorado right he was not missed when he left the niners and left the nfl and, and came to oregon nobody cried over jim levitt sure. joining the ducks boise state fans are still in mourning oh, yeah. over coach avalos yeah that's they a great love point. him that's a great point no that's a great point i don't think it's an indictment on levitt you know but like you said he doesn't leave this wake of tears behind him um, you know, wherever he goes, Andy Avalos did. I mean, people were yeah. just literally stunned that he would leave, that he would go. Um, they were grooming him as a coach in There's no doubt in my mind he's the first call if anything happens with the current head coach at Boise State. There's no doubt, you know, whether he jumps or not. I mean, at the end of the day, I, it's hard to turn away, you know, uh, your salary being 10 times of what it is. You know, he's making three or 400,000 at Oregon. Right. You know, if they go offer him two and a half million, it's awfully, obviously hard to turn that away. But at the same time, there's something to be said. And this is something Avalos, you know, said to me is he loves coaching defense. He loves coaching ball. And as a head coach, you still get to do that, but it's from afar. It's not the hands on every day, you know, doing all the things that yeah. he's able to do as a DC one of the things that Dabo Swinney has been able to do a terrific job is identifying guys that love to coach offensive and defensive side of the ball. His coordinators are loyal, been there for a long time. They're great at what they do. They're very comfortable with what they're doing. And mm-hmm. by the way, they're making a million dollars each or whatever it is, million. They're making plenty of money. That's pretty handy. Yeah, they're making plenty of money. I think I think Avalos could get to. I, you know, I don't know. It, it's all going to depend on you know what what's offered to him, but. You know, he could end up being one of those guys that just ends up being a tremendous DC for a long time because of his love of coaching ball. So I, you know, I don't know. I probably imagine it depends on how much control he has over the defensive side of the ball with Crystal Ball. If he's kind of afforded, 
a, a pretty broad amount of control, that's going to be a big factor there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't even know how I got to this point. Right. I even, well, I, I, we're, <laughs> we're just excited. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the other angle It's just, it, we're so excited to see this defense yeah. because we hear people say, Oh, they're going to get creative. We hear people say this is going to be different than, than the scheme in the last few seasons. And, I know all the film geeks out there assume that's the case because we saw what Boise State did the last couple seasons. We assume it's just going to be a, a transplant of that scheme. But until we see it, we can't say it. The, I'll say this, and I know I, I believe this to be true. I, I, I believe from where I heard it. Andy Avalos' defense is actually fairly simple. There's not a lot to it. The great thing about it is they disguise what they want to do really well. So, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are doing a fairly simple defense. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just like on offense. You want to disguise what you're trying to do on offense if you can. Right. I think that's one of the base fundamentals of his defense. They disguise what they, you know, they may line up a certain way, Mm -hmm. understanding they want to do something that you really wouldn't expect. And that's what makes his defense so difficult to prepare for. I think that's going to be a real X factor in this Auburn game. The other X factor is they're so damn athletic and so damn good on defensive line. You know, their receivers are a little – they're not bad. But, damn, that that Auburn team is going to – I mean, again, if QB1's calling a blowout, I guess it's it's been written. Yeah. I I could see it. We'll find out in two weeks. Yeah, that's the weird part. I could see it. Damn, and so we got we got one more podcast. No, we have two more podcasts for the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll have one next week and then the week leading up. No, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have two. Okay. We'll have two. Yeah. Because we have, we have mid-August and then end of August. And end of August. end of August is like leading into that first week. Yeah, so it'll be like three days for the game. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! It's almost football time. Dallas. Hey, uh, <laughs> last question, because yeah. we, we've hit our, our hour here. Are you going to go to Dallas? To be determined. A lot lot of stuff going there. Yeah. Because I I just saw the credential email the other day. Yeah. Uh, Even I thought about it, but I don't have the money. No, yeah. The money is a secondary part of it. The, the, you know, all the duties. I have staff members now that, that, you know, that I, that I could potentially send to the game. Um, You know, I, I I don't know. It's to be determined still. Um, My son actually starts high school next week. Ooh. So I'll have, so you're busy. I'll have somebody in school already by the time that game comes around, which is different for most. For for most, but um, even then, I can still make that work. But yeah, a lot of moving parts there. A lot of moving. Par- I'd like to go. The problem is this. Here's the problem. If I go, I know all you, all you Scoop Duck listeners, we're, are going to want to meet me at breweries and drink and have fun, <laughs> which I can't say no to. Yeah. Which I appreciate meeting you know, our subscribers and, and, and our fan base. I love that. Nothing more than else, but you got to get down to work. The problem is I can't work and go get drunk with everybody. It's <laughs> so like, if I could clone me, I could make all this work, but uh, like, so I know what would happen if I go down there and I know how much fun we would all have, including myself, but I also know how much work I'd sacrifice along the way. And let's face it. There's going to be an absolute ton of eyeballs on this game. It's a huge opportunity for me to grow the site so the mature side of me says, okay, stay home, skip the fun, do your job. Right. The other side of me, the other devil on the left shoulder is like, Beer and barbecue. Let's go to Dallas. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> beer and beef ribs, man. And, that and sounds I've, like heaven to me. Well, and I've been to Dallas, so I already know some of the spots, which makes it even more dangerous for me. You know, I know some Oof. of the... Yeah, I mean, when I kind of get to know a city, it, it's kind of on after that. Yeah. I don't know the whole city because Dallas is, there, is big, but... I can make my way around to a couple of spots that I already know I got to hit. So life of the party, Justin Hopkins, he has to hold himself back there. Yeah. I, I respect it, man. Cause <laughs> I'm not that way. I'm always an introvert when right. I'm not in front of a mic, but, uh, I get it. Yeah. I, I mean, adulting it. sucks. Let's face it. Adulting oh, sucks. It does. It's so hard. Yeah. Oh, oh well, pays we, the, we were talking about that before the pod even. Oh yeah. But yeah, it pays the bills at least. uh scoop duck and hi-fi had a great chat with mike bellotti check that out around the five ten minute mark and probably went what 15 20 minutes with him yeah yeah we we he 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 said 15 we went just a skosh over i think we were about 16 17 18 minutes somewhere in there yeah that was good and And then open phone lines open phone lines only got one caller but it was one really good caller one really good conversation huge conversation yeah i've got one question for you before we go though sure anybody's still listening because I, I think you're a little more into this area than I am. Big five-star commitment for Dana Altman yesterday. Ooh, yeah. I forgot, huh? Top 10 in the polls. Dude. Five-star commitment, man. Yeah, crazy. We're doing the same thing we did last year. This is how I see it right now. It's the same hype train yep. from last year yep. of Dana is getting the best talent in the country. The Ducks are going to be amazing. The Ducks are going to win the final four. We're going to pencil them in from day one. Right. And if it's not there right. at the end of October, it, the sky's going to fall. Everyone's going to freak out. And then next thing you know, well, we're going to go ahead and push through the tournament and right. have some fun. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say uh, Dante is this year's Bulbul. I don't know. I mean, because the hopes are leaped on him now. Yes. Like they were, okay, Bulbul's coming. We're going to win. Like, well, okay, yeah, he's he was really good for nine games, you know. It takes more than just a Bulbul or, or a Dante to win. A lot of moving pieces again. You know, you, you trust in Altman. Uh, you know, uh, personally, my personal opinion is this. If I think this can be a good season, but I tell you what, if, if he can do anything to keep – the nucleus of these guys for two years. Yes. Watch out. I was just going to say that to me, this is a transition year. Yes. If, if you keep these five stars and you keep these four stars and, and you get in their head and say, look what happened to Kenny Wooten. Yeah. Right. Or look what happened to Lou King and bowl bowl where they get this idea in their head. They're only going to be here for a year or two. And the NBA treats them like junk. Don't take bad advice from greedy agents. Right. If you <laughs> if you stay at Oregon for a second year or for a third year, then you can talk me into a Final Four team. Yeah. Uh, but I think they lost too many pieces. So this year, it's going to be like last year, where they're going to win some games. Sure. They might have some flashes, and Dana's going to figure out a way to play down the stretch that's going to make the most out of that team. I just don't know what the most of that team means. And my concern with Dante is I think he's an elite talent. There's no, I don't disregard the fact that he's a five-star and elite player. I I don't believe that he's as refined as a bull bull or a lot of other five stars. I think he's a guy that needs that development year. And then, I mean, almost like Francis Socorro, you know, about midway through the year, it Mm kind of started clicking, right? All these high lofty expectations coming in, you know, didn't happen right away, but it started to click over time. I think Dante is going to be similar to that way more than I think he's going to be Bobo where he comes out, you know, 20 points, 10 rebounds, you know, obviously Bobo got hurt, but he was on pace for a tremendous year. 
I don't I don't know that Dante's going to come in and do that right away. And secondly, he doesn't have to because Okoro is there. Mm-hmm. You can play Okoro. You can get Dante his 10, 15 minutes a game, however you use him. Get him out there. Get him experienced. Right. Keep practicing. Keep working him. And then, you know, maybe he starts to become more of a regular part of the rotation. I don't know. But I do think that I, I do think that just because Oregon picked up a five-star commitment, everyone's all of a sudden top 10 team. Right. I'm not saying disregard that. I'm just not quite ready to jump on that just yet myself. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm being the pessimist. No, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you strongly. We'll see what happens. And regardless, they're going to be a fun watch this year. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Might be frustrating at times. too. <laughs> <laughs> Might be. Oh, yeah. well. But yeah, we had to touch on that at least. Yeah. Yeah, that was big. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully he can get a couple more of those. Yeah, that never hurts. Well, especially, you know, since he reclassified, that just makes that even bigger. You know, since Dante went from 2020 to 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he'll be here in a month and a half or whenever he gets here now. Great thing about the Oregon quarter system, too. Right. I mean, that's such, I mean, that's so handy for football and for basketball Mm -hmm. because football can slide those guys in right before spring ball starts. Yeah. Even if they don't graduate in December or January. Yeah. That and school starts a little later. Well, yeah. Yeah, that too. Yeah, late, what, a third week September is when they start. Somewhere yeah, around there. Somewhere around there. It's yeah. been a few years for me. Yeah. That's that's how they used to do it. No, now, we're, now we're getting it, into the it weeds. It still is. I've been, you know, interviewing interns and stuff, and most of them are like, yeah, I don't get back till the second week of, you know, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yep. Summertime. Made for some fun summers, that's for sure. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, check it out. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Pretty much everywhere you want to listen to your podcasts, plus Justin has the link up on Scoop Duck if you want to download and have a little fun with it. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, thanks for listening, everybody. I can do this now.